Hey, welcome to the podcast. Today's reading is from Exodus 17, verses 8 to 13, and this is the word of the Lord. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. This is the word of the Lord, and we thank God for it, as it still speaks to us today. Slavery, and they'd left their harsh workloads behind them, and they'd found freedom, and yet they still hadn't found and reached or discovered their true place of rest, the true place of home that they were searching for and yearning for. And you see, God was leading them to a land. God was leading them to a place that would become their place of rest. But their quest to find it was consistently thwarted, and it was thwarted by two uh, almost opposite extremes. Firstly, it was consistently thwarted by their own foolish choices and decisions that they made. And on the other hand, it was thwarted by the attacks of their enemies, their own foolishness and the, the, the attack of their enemies. And for me, that's a picture of the battle over our lives when it comes to rest, I think. Our own foolish choices at times, scroll too much, go to bed too late, take on extra stuff that we really don't need to be doing, say yes and take on more responsibility. Sometimes our own choices lead us there. But actually, I want to remind us right at the outset of today that there's an enemy, that we have an enemy. And I don't want to be overly dramatic or overly spiritual as we start, but why do we feel so exhausted? I mean, the answer, you could look above the surface very easily and very quickly. Why do we feel so exhausted? Well, we feel exhausted because work's been hard and the deadline's been coming up and there's been so many social um, appointments or engagements and, and the kids won't sleep and I'm worn out and I'm tired and I've been busy. Why do we feel so exhausted? It's pretty obvious because some of those things are probably our reality right now. And maybe some of it is our doing too, you know, staying up too late and, and feeling burdens and doing things that aren't ours to do. But why do we feel so worn out all the time? Is it always just down to those things? Is it always just down to a full diary or the demands that we have in our lives? I'm convinced that exhaustion is not just a physical issue, but at times in our lives it's a spiritual one. Without being overly dramatic, there is an assignment against our lives. If we're followers of Jesus, there is an assignment against your life. There is an enemy and he hits your guts, as we used to say when we were kids. And of course, sometimes he doesn't need to be that clever. The enemy doesn't need to be that clever because at times our own foolish choices make us more open to attack. But at other times, we're simply bombarded by challenges or weariness or lethargy or apathy because he will use any scheme, trick, or situation to damage your life. 
so too for the people of God and the nation of Israel. Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. You see, the story of Exodus is a battle, a battle that would be messy, a battle that would be uh, difficult, it would be costly. It would involve death and sacrifice and pain and suffering. And Moses was aware of the size of task that was ahead of his army and his nation. And he understood the threat of the enemy and the danger of the battle. And yet his tactics seemed totally bizarre. Did you catch in the story the tactics of Moses, the great leader, and how he would lead his people through one of the greatest battles and one of the strongest enemies in their life? The, the, the Amalekite army were to be feared. And so what did Moses do? Rather than confront the army on the battlefield, he retreated to the safety of the hillside. And he's like, oh, you know, it actually says in the Bible, tomorrow, Moses said, tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. And if I was one of Moses' army, I'd be like, oh, cheers. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thanks for the help. You know, you're joining us in the trenches. You're not joining us in the trenches. In fact, you're retreating up a hill, you know, and you can have a good bird's eye view of all that's going on while we risk our lives. Surely that's no way to defeat an enemy or to lead your people into battle. He should have been leading from the front or inspiring the troops or commanding the army, but instead he chooses to stand on top of a mountain holding a stick in the air. Thanks for your leadership, Moses. But perhaps we sometimes assume that we need an army for the fight when actually the battle is won by obedience behind the scenes. Maybe we might think that success in the kingdom of God is about size and strength and status when actually it's founded on devotion and depth. We might be tempted that, to believe that God couldn't do something in our lives or God couldn't do something with only a few of us. You know, he needs the church to be fuller or the program to be greater. He needs our activities to be, you know, fuller and our gifting to be better. But Exodus 17 is a reminder to me that God doesn't need numbers to be effective or armies that are powerful to win a battle. Exodus 17 is a reminder that the battle wasn't won by better strategy, sleep more, more productivity or greater activity but actually the battle was won through deeper intimacy and simple obedience. The victory of the battle came not through the things that could be seen above the surface, but actually through those people who invested in what was unseen below the surface. Verse 11, as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. Simple. That was the tactics, and that was the thing that affected the battle. What Moses was doing on the hillside with his two friends, what they were doing and what they were participating in actually affected the battle. You see, it's fascinating that the real battle wasn't taking place on the field of play, but actually off to the side. The hillside wasn't where the spotlight would have been focused, and yet it was the focus of God. And what happened up the hill with Moses and his friends impacted what took place in the valley. What's going on in your life? Not just where people shine the spotlight, but what's happen, happening and taking place in the shadows. Where's the battleground in your life right now? Is it in the spotlight or is it in the shadows? Is it for your productivity, the things that people talk about and see, or is it for your passions underneath the surface?
because the obvious battle might seem to us to be in the culture out there, but the real battle is in the core of who we are. What we do away from the battleground really matters and affects who we are when we are in the battle. You see, God is more interested in your substance than your style. He's more interested in your depth and your breadth. He's more interested in your intimacy with him over your activities for him. And he's way more interested in what's below the surface of your life rather than what's seen above the surface of your life. So how are you investing in what what is below the surface? You see, the battle might feel that it's out there, but it begins in here in our lives where other people don't see, perhaps. And the problem is that you and I are part of a culture that is obsessed with what's above the surface. We're obsessed with it. The filters have to be right. The look has to cut it. The trends have to be on on point. And quite frankly, I find it exhausting. (laughs) Exhausting. To, try to, even, to even try to keep up can be exhausting because there's always more posts to be seen or stories to be watched or a trend to be followed or a hashtag to be even understood. There's always another box set to download or information to consume. There's always another party to go to or, in, or an invitation to respond to. There's always more things that we can be doing and tasks that we can be given. And we have more entertainment at our fingertips than any generation in history than ever before us. And yet we are more anxious, we're told, than ever before. And I wonder if verse 12 in this story is your reality right now, today. When Moses' hands grew tired, it was reality for Moses. It was inevitable, actually, for Moses. And it can be our reality. And it's actually inevitable for our lives. At some point of our lives, we will feel tired, worn out, burdened, and weary, It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. For some, it's your present reality. For some, it's your future reality. You're aware of the battle, but you're weary from the fight. But what made the difference for Moses? What made the difference was two fellow Israelites, two fellow leaders and two friends who came alongside Moses and held his hands up so that his hands remained steady until sunset. I love this picture. Knowing the significance of the situation, these two friends held their fault, the faltering hands of a friend and they kept his failing arms up. They took the weight, they carried the burden and it changed things. You see, rest shouldn't just be a selfish thing. Well, I need to rest right now. You know, rest isn't just a selfish thing. We ought to help others find their rest too. Whose arms can you be holding up right now? How can you help bring rest to others? Because right now, there's some of us in this room and we are exhausted. We are worn out. Some of us are worn out physically. Some of us are worn out emotionally. Some of us are worn out spiritually. But there's some of us in the room who might feel that we are I don't want to say doing okay, but actually we're, we, we feel the strength of God in our lives right now. We feel the joy of the Lord in us. And actually our job is to come alongside those who don't feel so strong and to hold their arms up while they falter. It's a picture of community. It's called the church, and I love it. And it's modeled for us so well in this story. I'm reading a book at the minute, and um, some of you are going to be so fascinated by this, but uh, I'm reading a book by the manager of the football team 
club that I love. I'm a Spurs supporter, and I'm reading an autobiography by their manager called Maurizio Pochettino, who is probably the most inspiring man ever and uh, the best manager ever, and uh, lots of clubs would love to have him. And in a time of crisis, he, he, he was writing about a time of crisis a couple of years ago in the club. We don't really have crisis all that much. It's just a constant state of crisis. But uh, he talked about a particular time of crisis. The results hadn't been good, and the uh, fans were on the back, and the media were uh, kind of uh, calling for uh, change. And in a time of crisis, he talked about how he gathered the leaders who made up the spine of the team. So he mentioned sort of three or four individuals, and he gathered them together in his office. And actually what he talked to them about, the information and the things that he tried to get across to them and communicate, wasn't actually about their performance on the pitch. It was about their attitude in the training pitch and around the club facilities as well. You see, he called on these leaders, on these influencers, uh, to make changes because on how they lived, because he knew that they could impact uh, or make an impact or bring an impact to their teammates. And they did, because Spurs are amazing now. Uh, and, uh, and I love how the battle in Exodus 17 was swayed by a faithful few. It only took a few. It, just three people. And three people, there's an, two armies fighting. I imagine it's thousands of people on a battlefield. And who impacted the battle the most? Well, God, but he did it through the faithfulness of three people standing on a hill. Just three people in impacted the course of the entire battle. And just in six little words, at the end of the passage I've read, we discover, so Joshua overcame the Amalekite army. Just like that. What a picture. Weary arms being held up as they watched the battle being won. And can you imagine being on top of that mountain, watching the battle, and actually seeing you know, the, the battle change? We're told in, this, in the passage how the battle was literally being changed in front of their eyes because of the actions that they were involved in. How would that have inspired them? It would have inspired more prayer. It would encourage them to to have more perseverance. You know, as we gather in church Sunday by Sunday, or community by community, or conversation by conversation, prayer by prayer, song by song, we don't just come here as individuals. Or we may arrive as individuals, but we take our place as the body of Christ. And we stand alongside one another. And it's this picture of holding one another's arms up. Just like Moses, we get weary. Of course we get weary. We get weary in different aspects of our lives. And we need our arms held up. Sometimes your arms will be held up by the smile of someone as you walk through the door. Sometimes your arms will be held up by the conversation that someone will have for you. Sometimes your arms will be held up by the prayer that someone prays for you. Sometimes your arms will be held up by the songs that are being sung, by the word that is, as, be, as it's being taught. Your arms can be held up by one another for the battle. And as we do, we remind ourselves of how God has worked among us in the past. It's like people with a bird's eye view over the battle. And we remind ourselves of how God has worked in the past and it should inspire us to more prayer and a greater perseverance in the midst of our battle. This quote by Marva Dawn about the Sabbath says, the Sabbath is a day for deepening our relationship with God. I love this picture she paints of the church. It says, God graciously meets us in the reading of scripture and the sermon, in the hymns and the liturgy and the And in the prayers of our corporate worship services, he reveals himself to us in tender and compassionate ways. God often gives us specific instructions for proceeding with whatever is happening 
in our lives. In other words, this affects that. Sabbath rest is not just about better relaxing, you know, better brunches, although it may include that, but it's about greater remembering as we turn our gaze back to the one whose battle it actually is in the first place. You see, Sabbath rest us might feel, feel futile, but it will impact our core and change the course of our battles. Sabbath rest will help us to remember his blessings in the midst of our battles or for our battles. Sabbath rest is about reminding ourselves that we aren't the Messiah, that we get tired, that we get weary. We aren't the Messiah, but he is. And Marva Dawn goes on to say, on the Sabbath day, we deliberately remember that we have ceased trying to be God and instead have put our lives back into his control. I need this so much because often my default is to work hard and fill my diary and rush around and be busy and if I'm honest all too often neglect rest something I've discovered through running is that the secret of running a good marathon or training for a marathon is not actually in running really hard and fast all the time but actually good marathon training is about running easy for most of the week and resting well and then adding in one or two really hard and key sessions. Actually, the best marathon runners in the world are those who train at the extremes. They run really fast a couple of days in the week, they improve their speed, and then spend the rest of the week either running very slowly to build up their endurance or to rest completely. And what separates the pros from the pack is actually how they prioritize recovery and rest. So they emphasize sleep in the middle of the day. Love that. Uh, Sleep in the middle of the day between training sessions, and they prioritize early nights and resting and keeping their feet off the ground during the rest of the time. They do it at the extremes. But when they go to train hard, it means that they're able to push their body really to the limits because they're well-rested and ready to face the session. You see, they're ready to face the session because they've spent time resting. I actually know of a local runner who got sent home from his running club, uh, uh, from his club training one night, because at the start of the first few reps of the laps of the track that they were doing, he was not running too slow, but he was running too fast. And the coach pulled him from the track and said, you're going too fast. You're going to ruin this session, not just for you, for for, for everyone else. We have a race on Saturday. Pack your bags and go home. And he was doing it for his good because he knew that he wouldn't be ready for the weekend's race. Are you ready for the temptation that's going to come your way this week? Because it's coming. Are you ready to respond to the criticism that you might receive in work tomorrow? Are you ready for the angry outburst of a family member towards you? Are you ready to give an answer for your faith when they ask the question or step into what God has for you this week? Embracing Sabbath actually prepares us for the fight. Embracing Sabbath rest actually gives us strength for when we need it. You see, Moses trusted God so much. How do we know that Moses trusted God? Moses trusted God so much to the extent that he didn't actually set foot on the battlefield. He trusted that God had it and that God didn't actually need him. He trusted God so much that he didn't try to take the situation into his own hands, but he left the situation in God's hands. And I wonder if our times of exhaustion or our 
minds full of exhaustion at times aren't so much just caused by our issues, by work issues or even life issues, but sometimes our trust issues. I wonder if it's a question of trust. Do I trust him enough to not try to wrestle control of my future and put them in my hands? Do I trust him enough to pray about it and then leave it there without, without continuing to worry about it? Do I trust him enough to take a day off every week? Do I trust him enough to turn it off and not worry about it? You see, perhaps the issue is not a lack of rest, but a lack of trust. We can rest in him when we trust in him. So the question is not about rest and activity. It's okay to, you know, be, you know, uh, have activities in our lives. It's okay to uh, do stuff and work hard. That's not the lesson of this series and not the lesson of rest. The, le- le- the lesson of this series is not necessarily to, to work less hard, but actually it's to trust in him more so that it would bring rest to our lives, to our minds. There's a story told of a ship and its crew in peril on the sea. I'm, I'm quite scared I've told this story before, but just humor me. Um, and in the engine room, the men were being tossed back and forth. And with each pitch in the sea, they became more convinced that they wouldn't make it through alive. And one of the crew managed to find his way up to the bridge of the ship just to see if there was any chance that they would survive. Several minutes later, he returned to his shipmates. And though the seas had grown no less angry, he reported to them that they were going to be fine. How can you know, they replied, as the waves continued to toss back and forth. He said, I've been to the bridge, and I've seen the captain's face, and he was smiling. I've seen the captain's face, and he's smiling. He is not restless. He's not fearful about tomorrow. He knows the future, and we can rest Not in better relaxation techniques or a special emergency spa package, although that might be nice, but in his promises. I can rest in his assurances. I'm resting in his grace. I'm resting in his presence. And most of all, I'm resting in his completed work on the cross. He's got this. We've sung this already today. The work is finished. Sounds attractive, doesn't it? The work is finished. The end is written. Jesus Christ is our living hope. And we rest not in our achievements, but in his accomplishments. It's been done. It's been done. We rest not in what we do or what we've done or achieved. We rest in what he has accomplished. And in that picture of the cross, I'd love you just for a moment to picture the cross and then cast your mind back to this story from Exodus 17. Because as I think of the cross, I can't fail to think of the one who stretched his arms out to impact the battle and to defeat an enemy. And in his weariness and in his exhaustion, which he faced, and in his agony, and in his pain, with one on one side and another on the other side, we see the one who fulfilled the law, who bore our weight and took on our sins so that we could have rest from our faltering past, rest from the accusations of the enemy, and rest for the span of eternity. We have one It's not just each other. We have one who holds our arms up whenever they're weak. 
And we have one who held his arms up for us so that we would actually know rest. The battle is his, the victory is his, and the rest is ours. And so today I would love to encourage you to embrace him and ultimately to look for rest in Jesus. And I want to encourage you to be people who acknowledge your weakness and ask for your falter in arms to be held up. And at times it's admitting that weakness before God and saying, I need my arms to be, I'm tired and I'm weary and I need my arms to be held up. But I'd also love you to to encourage you to be people who acknowledge that to others as well. That doesn't mean we'll have to advertise it to the world but with people that we trust and with people who have our back and with people in this community who want to walk with you, journey with you, and support you, people who want to hold your arms up. So right now, you might want to be someone who just says, I'm I'm admitting my weakness, and I need God, my arms, to be held up by you and and by your people. And if that's not you, I would love you to be someone who stands alongside others in their weakness in their weariness and come alongside others and hold their arms up for them in a time of need. We may feel weak, but he is strong. The battle is his, the victory is his, and the rest is is ours. So um, whose arms do you need to be holding up? Or how can you admit before God and before others that you need your arms held up today. I'd love to lead us in a moment of response. Jamie, could you come up and, and lead us? And Maybe just before Jamie leads this song, I just want to do something really simple and visible because I just think it's, goodness made this story so visible that we couldn't uh, not respond like this. I'd love just to encourage you that in, in these moments, in these next few moments, that if, if this is you today, if you're Moses and your arms are weary, and you feel exhaustion in any area of your life, physically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever it is, I'd love to encourage you to stand for a moment. We're not going to drag this out or do anything spectacular. And if there's someone standing, I would love you to stand beside them or near them. And I would love you to pray. If you're the one standing beside them, I'd love you to pray for the people. I'm not. I'm going to ask actually that it's going to be quiet prayer. Okay, so it's not kind of praying over people or praying. Uh, I just want you simply to stand with them quietly and pray for them. You might want to ask someone their name if you don't know who they are. That's okay. Um, but I love you to just quietly pray as Jamie plays. And for this to be almost like a visual picture today that we're standing beside, we're standing with one another. If that's you, I'd love to direct you over to prayer ministry at the end of the service. I mean, that's an obvious response today as well. But I would love us to do this as the community of God's people, saying we're standing with one another. Either I'm weary or else I'm someone who wants to stand beside people who feel weary right now. So just give you a moment. If that's you, I'd love you just to stand to your feet where you are and to embrace vulnerability and admit weakness and people will hopefully come, people will come and stand beside you and pray over you just in the quietness and in the silence. Why don't we close our eyes? I'm going to pray and then I'm going to invite you to do that now. Jesus, we thank you for this picture, this incredible picture of you impacting and affecting a battle. 
and it actually not really involving the people in the battlefield at all. God, I pray for people in the midst of their exhaustion, in the midst of their weariness, and in the midst of their weakness, that you would impact, speak in, and affect things in their lives, that you would make a change simply as they stand, as they admit weakness and acknowledge that, and have others stand alongside them. I pray we do this as a church, yes, in these moments, but I pray we live into that, this and lean into this in the days and weeks that lie ahead for us as a church as well. Teach us how to rely on you and to rest in you and to trust in you and to lean on one another. So I don't know if that's you. I'd love you just to stand where you are and people would love to gather around you this afternoon. If you see someone stand, I'd love you just to go and stand alongside them to uh, pray for them just in the quietness why don't we begin to gather around some of these guys and to pray for them